wet. Okay. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Well, are you glad it's Sunday morning? I, I'm glad it's Sunday morning. Let me tell you, the last few weeks of my life, uh, I'm just really glad to be with you here on Sunday morning. These have been some exciting days, but some hard days at Agape Flights, and I appreciate all those of you who have shared with us in prayer and shared with us in so many different ways. And I, I, I will just tell you, continue to pray for us because we, we are just in the midst of this disaster uh, relief. Don't just forget about us because the news has moved to a different cycle. Uh, the people in the Bahamas need the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be praying for them as we help them to recover after this, this hor horrible hurricane. But God is at move. He is, he is moving and, and we're grateful uh, to be a part of all of that. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John. We're only going to look at one verse this morning. I know some of you are shocked at that because you think you'll beat the Methodist to the, the lunchroom, but no, it won't happen, okay? And Doug told me he got me a big clock up there, but I don't see it anywhere up there, Doug. So somebody must have turned it off uh, because I'm going to preach until the Lord tells me to stop, okay? Okay, good. We got that understood. Now, John chapter 10, verse 10. I want you to look at that. And before we read it, I want to I want to preface this morning's message by talking to you a little bit about passion. What are you passionate about? You know, Hollywood, uh, the movies, soap operas, thousands of books promote passion. Amazon.com features hundreds upon hundreds of books with this word passion in the title. Passion is all over the internet. In fact, if you Google passion, be careful. <laughs> be careful because you're going to find articles and magazines and books and titles like this. A passion for alligators. <laughs> A passion for artichokes. A passion for birds. A passion for castles. For chocolate. Mm. A passion for fashion. That sounds like a statement. A passion for fly fishing or flying. A passion for gardening. A passion for golf. Hey, I like that. A passion for hang gliding. A passion for hunting. A passion for jazz. I mean, you can find all of these, all of these things that people are passionate about. Jesus was very clear about living with passion. Listen to John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, this is Jesus speaking, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was not speaking about heaven when he spoke these words. He was talking about right now. He was talking about present and the future in our lives, both individually as well as a corporate body, as a church. Jesus wanted us to have passion. A man walked up to Jesus one day and, and said, in essence, I'm busy. I, I don't have time to read the book and I missed the movie when it came out. Can you give me the cliff notes, Jesus, of the Bible? 
And here, there is a point to the whole thing. Listen to what Jesus responded by giving a summary of the entire Bible. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You can, I can, you can feel the passion in Jesus's words, can't you? I mean, he, the, the repeated word is all. Jesus's summary was defining. He is saying that we are to love God, serve God, love people, and serve people with passion. We are to give it all that we have. No half-hearted commitment will do. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at this thought, Jesus wants his church back. What, what does Jesus want us to do? Today, we move into a, a second segment of that series, but I'm going to be introducing over the next several weeks this Jesus, and today we're going to be looking at this Jesus who wants you fully alive. He wants you alive. He wants you and I to be alive with passion. What, what is the greatest sin in the Bible? When you look into the Bible, some think the greatest sin is being a Democrat. You know, others, others think it's being a Republican. You know, some think that getting stoned is the worst sin, or others think it's getting drunk. Some think it's the scarlet letter, adultery. Others would say it's gossip. The list is endless. But if you remember when we looked at Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus said, I would rather have you cold or hot than to be lukewarm, the greatest sin is being disinterested in God and apathetic about his word. Listen to the words of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He, he warned this. He said, and I quote him, the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Ladies and gentlemen, it has never been the smartest or the wealthiest, or the most educated, or the most beautiful people who have changed the world. The people who have made the biggest difference in this world have one thing in common. They're always people with a passion. You know, nothing is done well without passion. Passion is what motivates people to involve themselves in great causes, impossible tasks. It drives scientists to find new cures to dreaded diseases. It equips athletes to break records and get to the Olympics. And it sustains you in reaching new goals as you go through life. Passion is what turns churches around. And so today, the Apostle Paul warns us about losing passion with his plea from Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. The key word is keep. That means it's not automatic. The good news is this. 
If you lose your passion, you can recapture it. This morning, I want to help you to understand how to do that. The question right now is, how do we do that? Jesus taught and he modeled at least six principles for keeping your passion alive, your fire alive. So often we have gotten so far away from the Lord that some of these things are going to sound pretty unfamiliar to us. If you're writing in your notes today, I want you to get the first one down, and it's this. Jesus knows you're better off young. You know, I've heard, I've heard people say to me in various churches that I have either preached in or served as their interim or even some of the churches that I pastored. I've had people tell me, well, pastor, you know, our church is going to be this way even long after you're no longer the pastor. You know, some people, they think the pastor comes and he packs his suitcase so that when you get tired of him, he just picks up his suitcase and he goes on. That's not a biblical view, folks. Sometimes churches get the idea that they're going to be old for the rest of their life. Can I tell you something? That's a dangerous view because you know what happens to old people? They die. I'm in the process right now of dying. I'm old. But I've been in that process. You got to... Jesus says, I want you to understand you're better off young. And by the way, I've known some young, young 90-year-old people. I pastored a church in central Missouri that when I went to there, when I went, the day I went in view of a call, my wife and I, and at that time we only had two children, and we walked in and they went, oh, children. And I went, you all don't have any more children here? No, we don't. Everybody in that church, and at that time I was 28, everybody in that church was 65 or 70 and older. And my wife looked at me when we got in the car to go to lunch and back to the hotel and come back for, the, for what I call the grilling session where they put you up in a chair in front of everybody and ask you anything they want to ask you. That is wrong. But they did it anyway. And she looked at me at lunch and she said, Alan, are you sure about this? I said, no, I'm really not. But God is in control. And she said, I sure hope so. She said, because everybody there is old. And they think it's cool because we have two children. Our children are going to be lonely. We went there. God called me there. And the first 13 months of that pastorate, I said, God, please take me somewhere else. But I began to love those people and I began to hear their heart. And there was a guy in that church by the name of Theodore Walters. We called him Uncle Buck. He had gold teeth. I mean, he had so much gold in his teeth. When he handed out the bulletins and he smiled, I mean, everybody was blinded by the gold. But Uncle Buck was one of the greatest men I ever met in my life. He and his wife, Bertha. Bertha went to the Christian church. He went to the Baptist church. Bertha had been a school teacher. Buck had been a, a, a pole man for, for Missouri Power and Light. Only had a fourth grade education. They'd never had any children. But Buck, Buck looked at me one day standing at the door and he said, Pastor, I have a dream. And I said, Buck, what is it? And I thought he was going to tell me he wanted to have kids. And I was going to say, that dream's not coming true, Buck. <laughs> he said, no, I have a dream that one day we'll have a new worship center here. And it'll be filled with young people. And I said, Buck, 
That's a great dream. And he said, many of my, of my friends, we have a dream. We want to see Memorial become the church that God wants it to be. And folks, I started praying with those people. We would pray every time we got together and we began to pray. And on one Wednesday night, we had 23 people in three families and they had kids join the church on a Wednesday night. And God started doing something. I'll never forget when that same man that stood at that door, Uncle Buck said to me, I want to be the first I want to be the first, Bertha and I, by the way, Bertha came to me and she said, you know, I've been a member of the Christian church all these years, never liked you guys, never liked the Baptists. She said, I like you and I want to become a Baptist. Will you baptize me? I said, yes, ma'am. I baptized that 80 something year old lady and her and Buck finally were going to church together. That man handed me a check the first of three, the first check was for $300,000. He gave $1.2 million of their wealth so that we could build a new worship center and we raised the rest. And there in those years, God blessed the passion of those people. My first 18 months there, I did 142 or three funerals but the church in measure, it was amazing how it began to grow. And listen, when you're growing as a church and you've got young people coming, they've got babies and those babies have to have their diapers changed. And guess what? So do spiritual babies. It was an amazing time. But that church had come to believe for many years they could never be anything else than what they were, an old church. Jesus says, you're better off young. Listen to what he says. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what Jesus said to old, respectable, rule-keeping, tradition-bound, religious elites of the day. These shocking words, unless you change and become like little children, the absorbing message of Christmas, one that astonished leaders and theologians 2,000 years ago, and still astonishes us today is that God became a baby. God became a baby. That erases every misconception anyone has ever had about God. Every year at Christmas, we discover how young God is. The birth of a baby shook up the religious world. Maybe it ought to happen again. Rather than somebody becoming a Christian and then becoming more religious and uptight and judgmental and opinionated and harsh, maybe it's time we reconnect with the Jesus who wants to change us to become like little children. I love children. I absolutely do. If you get me talking about my grandchildren, we will be here all day. I will have 483 pictures to show you. I mean, I love children. And, and I will tell you this, if I had a choice of teaching a senior adult Sunday school class or working in the nursery, I'm working in the nursery every time. Every time. You say, don't you like senior adults? I love senior adults, but I love being with babies. I love being with children. Aren't they? They're amazing to me. The questions that they ask. That I, I've got a granddaughter by the name of Piper. Piper Jane, and she is one smart cookie. She takes after her grandfather. 
she just, she can talk in sense. I know some of you are sitting there saying, oh, great. He's talking about his grandchildren. Everybody's grandchildren are smart. You should know that, Pastor. I, I get that. But this, this is an exceptional child. She, she is so stinking smart. And I can't wait until she becomes a middle schooler. But uh, she just teaches me when 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 she first heard the story of Jesus and and we we saw it on video she when she heard how Jesus died and that he rose again man it was like wow Jesus says you are better off young number 2 you're better off dead now wait a minute pastor you just told us we're better off young and now we're dying. Listen to what Matthew said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying in essence, you're better off dead. Today, a cross oftentimes is a piece of jewelry. We forget that it was an instrument of torture and death. At the time of Christ, more than 500 Israelites were crucified each day. They were probably displayed on byways where the rest of the Israelites would have to walk. Scholars suggest that when Jesus said, take up your cross, he could have been standing near one of those crosses, maybe looking at it. Everybody knew what he meant. He meant be ready to die. Dying to self looks like it leads to a life of emptiness and loss. But in reality, dying to self leads to a life of joy and freedom. You know why? Dead people aren't stressed out. Dead people aren't enslaved by addictive behaviors. Dead people aren't weighed down by worry. Dead people don't judge or criticize or condemn. Dead people, you ever seen a dead man or woman ever be jealous? Somehow dying to sin and self makes us more, not less, alive. Die to yourself. You will never, ever be more alive. When you die to yourself and say, Jesus, fill me with your presence. Number three, Jesus knows you're better off dependent. Abide in me, John 15, 4, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. When, when I stop depending on God, I start depending on me. Hmm. Can I tell you something? That leads to a boatload of stress and worry and anxiety and regret and frustration. Passion is replaced by pressure and panic when I am depending on me. There was a song that we used to sing many, many years ago. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you to, to carry us through. Ladies and gentlemen, I am dependent upon Jesus. 
I cannot do this on my own. And the, the, here's, here's the news that you need to hear today. N- neither can you. You can't do this on your own. Can I tell you something? You can't be a good parent on your own. You can't be a good husband or a wife on your own. You can't be a good church member. You can't be a, a, a good worker in the workplace on your own. We are dependent upon the Lord. But you know, the fourth thing is this. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Jesus knows you're better off connected. Let me ask you a passion defining question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? I don't want anybody raising their hand or anything like that, but I want you to think about this. Why don't you feel the passion that you used to? Why don't you feel the same excitement about your relationship to God? Why am I not as close and on fire for God as I used to be? Why why does my relationship with Jesus feel so stale or distant or cold? Why does so much of my life lack any sense of urgency? Usually we lack passion because we've lost connection. Unplugged appliances don't work, do they? You see, untended fires soon become nothing more than piles of ashes. I I was reading the other day and I I put this in my notes. Sometimes, you know, we we move through life thinking, you know, we we, we can miss it. There's a a story about a a pilot who came over the intercom and he said, good news, ladies and gentlemen, we've, we've got a very strong tailwind and we're making excellent time. The bad news is our navigation equipment has gone down, so we have no idea where we are. Perhaps that's, that's a fitting analogy for many of us. We're making a great time on a road to nowhere. We're on a fast track, but we don't really know where all of this is headed. When we finally get what we've wanted all those years, we discover that it's really not what we wanted after all, and so we hop on another treadmill, but it leads to the same disillusionment. How far do we have to travel before we turn around, go back to the last intersection and ask for directions there? You know, Jesus knows that we're better off connected, connected not only to him, but to one another. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Listen to me, the God of this universe has invited us to get up every day and to read his word and to pray and to connect with him and to connect with one another. I want you to understand something. I need you. You need me. We we need each other in this life. I can tell you, through experience that had it not been for this connection that I have with the Lord and with his body, with his family, I don't know that I would be standing here today. In fact, many, many times I've said to people, I do not understand when people face uh, traumatic experiences horrific things in their life. I don't know how they face that without this connection 
of brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other. And the loss, and the loss of my late wife, I can tell you that it was a church. It was a church body. It was, it was deacons. It was, it was Sunday school teachers. It was, it was just people, everyday good people who lifted their pastor up. And I wasn't much of a pastor in that, in that, in that time afterwards. I, I, I couldn't even think straight. I, 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 to be honest with you, I, I was trying to figure out how to raise three children and pastor a church. And, and it was because of the connectivity with God's people that somehow, some way, they carried me. We need each other, and we're so much better when we're connected. But then I would tell you this, Jesus knows you're better off future-focused. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, uh, is fit for the kingdom of God. When a, what a person believes about their future is more important than anything that has ever happened in their past or anything that is happening in their present. And the same is true for the church. I walked by the chapel this morning, my wife and I did, as we were coming in the front of this beautiful building out here, and I looked on that, on that stone, and it said 1889, 130 years. Is that right? 130 years. This place, you, now, not you, but someone like you, if you're 130 here, I'd love to meet you. But First Baptist Church has been here 130 years. 130 years. What's the next five look like? What's the next 10 look like? Future focus, what we believe churches that are growing for the glory of God have sustainable, positive, long-term joy and passion. And here's why. They believe God has amazing plans for tomorrow, but not just for tomorrow, for today. Future focus creates passion. <laughs> I was on an airplane. I forgot where I was coming back from. It's been several years ago, but... I just really wanted to sit down in my seat and breathe. And I wanted them to bring a Coca-Cola and some of those little snack crackers that are not really very good, but I was just looking forward to that aisle seat and praying that no one, you know, you, you get on these Southwest flights and, and everybody sits either in the aisle or in the window and nobody wants the middle seat. And, and while people are boarding, no one will look up as if to say, you can sit here or anything. We put our stuff in there and then we pray, dear God, let them pass by and sit in somebody else's seat. I just didn't want, I just didn't want to, y'all forgive me. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to rest. I, I'd been preaching and I'd been talking and I just wanted to rest. And I sat down in that aisle seat and, and sure enough, here came this young service boy, uh, army uniform, still in uniform and everything. And, and he smiled at me, you know, and, and there was a lady sitting over there. And so he was going to sit here and I got up and I, I let him have it. And, and, and I, I, I didn't think much about it. I was reading a devotional book, trying to act spiritual, you know, and uh, 
I could sense, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I could sense his eyes were on me. You know, when somebody's looking at you as if I want to talk to you, but you're not willing to talk to me. And so I kind of smiled at him and he said, tell me, what are you reading there? And I, I you know, told him I was reading my, my devotional book and, he, and I told him, you know, kind of what I was and wh- what I did at the time I was in the pastorate. And, and uh, I said, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, that was like, he never stopped for the next hour and a half. He began to tell me uh, about his life and he began to tell me about his fiance. And Lord have mercy. He went on and on for 35 minutes. He told me about this gorgeous, beautiful woman that he was going to marry. And, 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 and finally I said to him, do you have a picture of her? And he said, I do. And he got out his wallet. I mean, this, this will tell you, it was a few years ago because most of the time we just, we just pop them up right on our phone. And let me tell you something. I looked at that picture and I've seen two ugly women in my life and she was both of them. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I went. But you know what happened to me? I looked at him and I looked at that picture. And he said, isn't she beautiful? And I lied. But can I tell you something? To him, she was the most gorgeous woman in the world. You know why? Because he was passionate about her. And he continued until we put that plane down. He continued to tell me about that young lady and and how wonderful. And and God just slapped me still. He said, I wish you loved me that much. I wish you talked about me like he talked about her. I wish you had that much passion, Alan, about your relationship with me as he does for her. I walked off that airplane and it was like the Holy Spirit had stunned me with a gun. Because that young man was so passionate about that woman. That's all he could talk about. First Bradenton, where's your passion I love being around people who have expectations. I love being around people who believe that God is alive. When we sang that this morning, do we really believe he is alive and in our lives and and, and in this church's plans, the resurrection really happened, amen? And God is still working and yes, God is working today and he is working tomorrow. And above all, the last thing Jesus knows, you're never better off self-absorbed. Matthew 19, 21 says, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What is your purpose? A church without purpose will lack passion because passion and purpose go together. Purpose actually creates passion. The people and the churches I know about who are genuinely happy are those who are giving their lives to make something significant happen. Live and learn to live with passion. By far the best way to live with passion is to let the Spirit of God move your heart. 
to release that passion. The story goes as follows. In 1980, there was a young man from Rwanda who was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face death. He refused to renounce Christ and he was killed on the spot and the night before he had written the following commitment which was later found in his room after his death. He said in these words, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. He, was, he knew he was going to face day, death. He said, I won't look back, let up, shut up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight, walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I am no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Christ Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, and preach until all know. And when my time is up, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I hope you're a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Because ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is calling us to be passionate people. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. He is saying, First Bradenton, that we are to love God, serve God, love people, serve people with passion. We are to give it all we have. No half-hearted commitment will do. I don't know if you all ever do this, but it seems like the older I get, the quicker I wear out. If you know anything about Alan Spear, and my wife would tell you this, I am a type A plus, plus, plus personality. I go, I go, and I go. But now, at 62, there are times when, when I do that, I drop. She gets tickled at me because I'll come in after having gone like I've been going the last several weeks and she can pretty well tell when it's going to happen. She'll be talking to me and I will have sat down in that recliner and I go. And I'm gone. 
I never did that when I was 30 or even 40. Most of the time, not even when I was 50. But I've been going at a pace and I realize I understand that I can't continue to go at that pace, nor do I really want to. But I understand also that I would rather burn out than rust out. I always said I I wanted to die either in the pulpit or on the golf course. For y'all's sake, I hope I die on the golf course. Because it would be an awful sight to see. I just don't want to live without passion. And I can tell you that in my life, in the, in the last several years, God has restored and renewed and given me passion like I've never had. I have a passion for this body and a passion for this church. I want you to know and understand this is not just somebody coming in to preach and inspire or motivate you. I'm not interested in motivating you. I'm interested in helping you get on a track and helping you get where God wants you to go. This is a great body of people, a great church. And God wants to do something far greater than you could ever think or imagine. But some of you, I'm just going to be real candid with you. Some of you are so self-absorbed right now, you can't even see what God has. Jesus said you were better off not being self-absorbed, absorbed, but to give yourself and say, Lord, your will, not mine. I don't want mine. I don't want my way. I want your way. Ladies and gentlemen, Meet the Jesus, meet the Jesus who really wants you to be fully alive. So alive that when people walk in this building, they go, what in the world is going on here? I've pastored several churches, and I'll be honest with you. Some of those churches bless those churches' hearts. I mean, some of them were just, they, they were, sometimes they were so dignified and refined. But I pastored a church one time in, in southern Illinois that was such a happy Baptist church that people would walk in. I'd have visiting guest pastors come in and go, what in the world are these? What's going on around here, Alan? You can baptize somebody, stand there in your robe, and people are singing and shouting hallelujah. It was a happy Southern Baptist church. I had one pastor come in there one time and say, I don't know if I could pastor that church. It's a little too loud. And I said, let me ask you something. Would you rather try to calm them down or raise the dead? I'd much rather have to calm folks down than try to raise the dead. Jesus wants us alive, fully alive vibrant. First Bradenton, what's your purpose? Where's your passion? Let's pray. Father,